Okay, cell phones off, hearts open, Bibles. You can turn your Bibles to John chapter 14. The Gospel of John chapter 14. Uh, we're in a series called Perfect Gifts for Imperfect People. Perfect Gifts for Imperfect People. We're talking about the gifts that God gives us in the Bible. We've covered deliver, uh, deliverer, we've covered husband, we've covered apostle, pastor, teacher, prophet, all these great gifts. Um, today in part five, I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit. Now, next Sunday, most likely, I'm pretty sure, we're going to talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Listen, nothing weird is going to happen here. Nothing, nobody's going to fall on the floor. Nobody's going to jump over a pew, and the chandeliers are too high for anyone to hang on, okay? So that's not going to happen. I am a very, I, I, try, I strive to be a very balanced teacher. Not over-spiritual, not under-spiritual. I love to teach. If you're 84 years old, you can receive. If you're 14, you can receive. If you've been saved for 50 years, if you're, if you're unsaved, okay? So it'll be a very, very balanced sermon. Come out and learn what the Bible says. The foundation for next week is today, the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.38. Repent in the name of Jesus, and you will receive the gift. Everybody say gift. Yeah. Of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever bought somebody a gift and then told them how much money they owe you afterwards? Not well, <laughs> maybe I'll, but no. So a gift, all you do is receive it. All you do is receive it. Um, it seems like the Christians who are always talking about the Holy Spirit are the weird Christians. If you notice that, the really weird ones are the ones that always Holy Spirit this and Holy Spirit that and Holy Spirit that. But those people would be weird without the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit does not make people weird. In fact, a recent poll shows that one out of every three people are weird. Just real quick, I want you to look to your left, who's sitting next to you. Now look to your right. If neither one of them are weird. Okay, anyway, so I grew up in a charismatic church, Pentecostal holiness, all of that. And so there was tongue talking, holy rolling, born again, you know, baptized, saved, all that stuff. And in those churches growing up, it seemed like, and this is back in the day, that all the women who were filled with the Holy Spirit, they either wore no makeup at all, or they wore way too much makeup. I mean, tons of it. So I thought growing up, if I marry a woman that's filled with the Holy Spirit, either way, she's going to be ugly. Weird and ugly, okay? You can believe in the person and the power of the Holy Spirit without being weird, without being goofy, and without being ugly, okay? Um, who do you think tried to make us afraid of the Holy Spirit? Who do you think is behind trying, in the 70s and 80s, out of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the, the charismatic churches, they would, in, they would put so much focus on the speaking in tongues one, they forgot about the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge or miracles or healing or all the other ones. And it's Satan that tries to get us out of balance in the kingdom of God to make people scared of things they shouldn't be scared of that are in the Bible. Uh, Satan is called a wicked schemer. Wicked, wicked is the word. Wicked is where we get the word wicker, wicker furniture. It twists it. Satan twists the word. Satan can twist scripture. He knows the scripture probably better than a lot of us, and he twists it. He'll say, you know, God wants you to feel good and be happy, so do whatever feels good. That's not what the Bible says at all. He twists what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit to make us afraid, but there should be no reason for us to be afraid because the very first church in the Bible who received the Holy Spirit, that church had thousands of people saved. They raised the dead. People were supernaturally being healed, and they turned the whole world upside down. So I believe it was from that moment on that Satan tried to make it his goal to make us afraid of the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So I have three points for you today. They all start with the letter P. Point number one is person person. 
you have to understand he is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, any great theologian, if they're going to teach the Holy Spirit, they're always going to go to John chapter 14, 15, and 16. That is the, that, that's, that, that's where they go. That is the Last Supper. You got Jesus, you got his disciples, you have Leonardo da Vinci in the corner painting, and then it's all... How does that joke ever work like I wanted to? Uh, most theologians believe this is about 12 hours before the beginning of the crucifixion, crucifixion process. So imagine Jesus is with his 12 dudes that he's been three years with, pouring into, and he knows he's about to be beaten and crucified and all these horrible things. So what is he going to talk to him about in this Last Supper? Here's what he talk, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. The whole context of the Last Supper is Jesus saying, I'm going to go, but I'm leaving you someone who's going to take care of you. Someone who can speak truth into your life. Someone who can comfort you. Okay, so that's where we take it from. John 14, verse 16 says this. I'll ask the Father, and he will give you a helper or comforter, advocate. Uh, Old King James uses comforter. Uh, newer translations use helper. Uh, um, uh, the Amplified Bible uses advocate. Who will never leave you. Never leave you. Never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and doesn't recognize Him. But you know Him because He lives with you now. Wait a minute. What are you telling me He lives with me now? He's Jesus. He's Jesus. The Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. H2O. Solid, liquid, steam. It's all the same. It's all H2O. He's with you, but He's going to live inside of you later. The word helper there in, uh, in Greek is the word parakletos. Parakletos, para means alongside, and kletos is to come alongside. Uh, parable, parabole, means to throw alongside. Uh, Jesus, when he told a parable, he threw a story alongside of a truth to help you understand it. A paragraph is writings alongside each other, okay? How would you like the most intelligent being in the universe to always come alongside you everywhere you go with everything that you do, your helper, your protector, your comforter, your advocate? How many of you would like that? Would that be okay if that happened? Okay, I need you to see too, it never refers to the Holy Spirit as it. Never. It always refers to the Holy Spirit as He. You have to see Him as a person. Here's why. You'll never develop a personal relationship with Him unless you see Him as a person. If it's an it, you'll always, you'll, there'll always be a wedge between the two of you. You have to see Him as a person. John 16, 7. It is to your advantage. Imagine walking with Jesus and you see him walk on water and do miracles and heal the blind eyes. And he says, listen, it's to your advantage that I leave. I'd say, no, I don't care. I, I, I want you to stay, okay? I, even if you think it's, I want you to stay no matter what. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go, the helper won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Just so you know, none of you got saved on your own. The Holy Spirit was already convicting you to come to Jesus before you even came to Jesus. Um, and the Holy Spirit can reach people in Africa, too, by the way, and anywhere around the world. Uh, verse 12, I still have many things to say to you. Now, there's a whole theological persuasion that says the Holy Spirit doesn't speak. I'm about to blow that out of the water. You can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will. What's that word? Speak. He'll speak. He'll speak. I can tell you he speaks because I've heard him speak. Uh, he spoke to me in 2006. I was um, uh, laying in my bed, crying, reading my Bible, looking at a TV preacher, and the Holy Spirit said, I've called you to be a pastor. Go out and start a church. I called Reverend Randall. He confirmed it. We went out and started Solid Rock. 2011 or 12, I'm driving by this road right here. The Holy Spirit said, thank God for this property. 
I said, I don't want that property. I have bad memories of this property. I went to school here, and Reverend Randall was actually one of my teachers, and he body slammed me on the ground in front of all of my friends. He's two feet shorter than me, and I could not get up because his foot was on my chest. I have a bad memory here. I don't want that property. God, the Holy Spirit said, thank me. I started thanking God. Thank you, God, for the property. Six months later, we own this property. Every single week, he speaks to me about sermons every, and other things. But sermon. I'm not smart enough to write a sermon without the Holy Spirit speaking to me. He wants to speak to you every single day. Elijah wanted to hear from God. 1 Kings 19.11, it says this, The Lord was there. A great and strong wind rent the mountains and broke the rocks. But it wasn't, the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. The Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. The Lord was not in the fire. The Lord was not in the earth, wind, and fire. <laughs> and after the fire, there was a gentle whisper. Now, I'm going to teach you something theologically. I could spend two hours reading your scriptures, but I just need you to believe me because I don't have time. The Holy Spirit whispers because he's close to you. Biblically, Satan always screams when he talks to you. He yells, he screams, he overpowers. Satan tries to overpower the whisper of the Holy Spirit, but he can't do it because the Holy Spirit's inside of you. So you can hear his whisper louder than you can hear Satan's voice screaming at you. Are you with me? Um, I think the problem, I think the problem is, is that the Holy Spirit, that, that the name Holy Spirit is just, it's just weird. In fact, the old King James, I love King James, but the one word I think they got wrong, they call it Holy Ghost. Hey, I'm going to hang out with the ghost. That doesn't sound right, right? You say, listen, Jesus spoke to me today. We're cool with that. Uh, I'm going to go have breakfast and spend time with God. We're okay with that. Hey, me and the ghost, we're going to go walk on the beach. You're like, you know, that, that's just not right. So I was talking to God this week. I said, God, you know, you kind of messed up when you named him Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. You should have named him Bill. Because then we can say, hey, I'm going to walk on the beach with Bill. Bill just spoke to me. Me and Bill are going to hang out. And you'd have no problem. And this way, the Episcopal Church and the Methodists and the Baptists, they can call him William. <laughs> with, thus says William in our service today. William was here. All hail the power of William's name. And then the crazy churches, like the Charismatic and Pentecostal, they can call him Billy. Boy, wow, Billy showed up in church today, didn't he? Oh, Billy's amazing, right? Okay, listen, Holy Spirit is not his name. It's his description and his function in the Trinity. Do you know what his name is? His name is God. God the Father, God the, and God the... It's God. He's God. H2O, whether it's solid, liquid, or gas is still H2O. It's still water. Do you hear what I'm saying? He's God. Let me prove to you he's God. Acts 5, 3 says this. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to humans but to God. Wait, it just said he lied to the Holy Spirit. They're the same. They have different functions. The function of the Holy Spirit is to dwell inside of you and to empower your mortal bodies and to bring your soul to heaven whenever you die and to teach you into all truth and to share things with you and help you understand the word and tell you which way you should go, which way you should walk in life. That's his function. God's in heaven. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Holy Spirit, uh, the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. Now, for all you Bible thumpers, and Bernie's not allowed to answer, for all the rest of you, what is a place in the gospel where all three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, were all in the same place, doing the same, seeing the same thing in the same event? Where, 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 don't talk, where in the Bible is that? Who said that? 
Oh, man, I don't have a gift card for you, but you get a free solid rock Bible after service. In the baptism of Jesus, watch this, Luke 3.22, the Holy Spirit descended on him, Jesus, in bodily form like a dove, and a voice, God, from heaven said, you're my son in whom I'm well pleased. All of them together. And just so, and I, I, this doesn't matter, it's not on the test, but the Holy Spirit does not look like a dove or act like a dove. If you know grammar properly, the topic's the Holy Spirit, and he's saying the way a dove, the way a dove descends, the way it comes down in a peaceful manner, that's the way the Holy Spirit did it, but it doesn't look like a dove, just want everybody to know. Okay, uh, point number two, personality. Personality. A person has a personality. It is a mind, a will, and emotions. A mind thinks, a will wants, and emotions feel. If you want to know how God the Father thinks, listen to the Holy Spirit. If you want to know how God the Father feels, then listen to the Holy Spirit. If you want to know how God the Father, of what He wants for your life, listen to the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22. Now I'm going to read these fruits or these, um, uh, these things that come to fruition when the Holy Spirit's inside of you. You tell me if any of these things are weird. Or any of these things you would not want to be in relationship with somebody if they had it, okay? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Is love weird? Is joy weird? Patience. Is, is, is peace, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, and humility. Are any of those traits that you think, I don't want to be around somebody that has that? Or would you be attracted to those things? Self-control. That's an attractive trait, right? It's an attractive trait. So there's a mind, a will, and emotions. Um, a soul is something a person has. Okay, a tree doesn't have a soul. A tree doesn't have a personality. I know there's some weirdos out there that think there are, but they're not, okay? And, and contrary to what you think, your cat does not have a soul. If it did, it, it wouldn't go to heaven, but it does not have a soul, okay? Your dog doesn't have a soul. They might can think things and feel things, but they can't choose to lay down their life and to surrender their life to Jesus Christ, or, or to live an unselfish life, okay? So, um, if you want to know how God thinks, desires, or feels, tap into the Holy Spirit. Write this down for your notes. He has a mind. He has a mind. John 16, 13, He will guide you into all truth. How can He guide you into all truth if He doesn't know all truth? He knows it all. He knows it all. Um, what do you think is the Holy Spirit's IQ? Now, Albert Einstein's IQ was 209. So what do you think the Holy Spirit's IQ is? He doesn't have an IQ. Because IQ is intelligence quotient. Quotient is the way you measure something. You cannot measure his I because he has all I. All intelligence. All intelligence. The Holy Spirit has never said these words, I just thought of something. He's never said that. Never said Because he's already thought of everything. Would it be okay... If someone who knows everything about everything lives inside of you and speaks to you, would that be okay? Okay. John 14, 26 says this. Um, but when the Father sends the helper or comforter or advocate, that is the Holy Spirit, he'll teach you everything. And when he teaches you, it always lines up with the Word of God. Probably a hundred times in the past 20 years, hundred times this has happened to me. And I remember one specific where the Holy Spirit says something to me. And I think, oh, that's great, that's really wise. And then later on, I actually find it in the Bible somewhere. When I first started pastoring, I did not want to pass a plate. Because I grew up in churches where they beg an offering out of you. And sometimes they beg two of them out of you, you know, if the first one wasn't enough. 
And I don't think it's good to manipulate people financially. And so I said, well, Jesus, what do I do? Because the Bible says to tithe, it says to give. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, just put box. Just put a box in the church. Put a box. And if they love me, they'll give. And, you know, if they don't want to give, they won't. And there'll be no manipulation. Just teach them what the Bible says. It's totally, I said, that's a great idea. Put a box. I'd never heard ever, ever in the history of anyone ever using a box in church without even passing a plate. About six months later, I'm reading my Bible. And in the Gospels, I read where Jesus is in a church where they put a box up front and people come and they just give their offerings and tithes. I was like, Holy Spirit, that was such a great idea that you thought of. Oh, give me some, you know, this happens to me all the time. Now, the old King James refers to the Holy Spirit as comforter, as comforter. Some other translations use advocate or helper, but comforter. Um, growing up, I had two sets of grandparents, my nana and papa on my mom's side, and my nana is still alive. She's 96 years old. She's actually my favorite of all my relatives combined she took care of me raised me um but my grandma and granddad on my dad's side of the family they lived in georgetown started in hemingway moved to georgetown and i would i was the oldest grandkid so me and you know my cousins we'd all go there and i was kind of the leader of all of them and there's about this there's these two rooms that are open uh in their house and it was a 900 square foot room or so big dining room big living room and it looked like something out of a magazine from the 60s but it looked it was all perfect it had old english furniture redwood furniture bright red carpet i mean like blood red and like no one had ever walked on the carpet in that entire the whole entirety of the house uh big beautiful living room but here's the thing we weren't allowed to go in there now you could go in there because you're a guest i couldn't go in there one day my grandma was outside with my granddad working and so i get my cousin i said we're going in the room we're going in there so we go in the room and on the couches these big beautiful antique couches they were covered with plastic what kind of weirdo puts plastic, like a couch is to feel comfortable, so I'm going to put, I might as well put two by fours on it, right? So I sat on the couch and I slid right off the couch, right? It was this thick, so we'd run and we'd slide down the couch and slide on the other side. Afterwards, my grandma came in, got upset, and so we went outside, we went fishing with my granddad, we come inside to go to the bathroom, wash our hands, and I turn around to dry my hands off on these beautiful, look like brand new towels. And my grandma runs, oh, 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 you can't use those towels. Those are for the guests. I'm your grandson. I'm visiting my grandma. Nope, she handed me some towel from the Great Depression, had holes in it, strings, you know. You know, it was an old th- a towel like you washed and tried 500,000 times and the strings are just hanging off. It's as thin as tissue, you know, whatever. I go to bed that night, I go into the guest bedroom and uh, just a beautiful antique bedroom, you know, and there's this plump comforter on the bed, look like it was so cozy, it can be so warm. And I go in there and I get under the covers and my grandma comes in to put me, to tuck me in bed and she takes the comforter off, folds it off and puts it on the ground. She puts a blanket on there as thin as air with holes all in it. I said, Grandma, what are you doing? And she said this, that comforter is not for use, it's just for looks. How many of you in this room see the comforter? It's not for use. He's just for looks. You're saved. He's just for looks. But all the, all the, the, the functions that come with him, all the gifts that come with him, all, all that you could experience, eh, he's not for use. He's just, he's just for looks. All right. 
Okay, he has a will. He has a will. Acts 16, 6 says this. After being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak a word in Asia Minor, after that they came to a hard word, tried to go into another hard word, but the Spirit did not permit them. Okay, the word permit and the word forbidden means to exercise will. He has a will. If you want to know God's general will for your life, then read the Bible and I can teach you. If you want to know God's specific will for your life, get to know the Holy Spirit. The number one question I've had in all of my pastoral career is, what is God's will for my life? What am I supposed to do? What area do I serve in? Okay, listen, the Bible says give your life to Jesus Christ. It says to join a church, and it says to serve that church. So there's the general will. What area do you need to serve in? You better talk to the Holy Spirit. Uh, what gifts do I have, John Paul? Well, I can teach you about all the gifts in the Bible. Which one do you, do you have from Jesus? You need to talk to the Holy Spirit. I can teach you what the Bible says about marriage. Only the Holy Spirit can teach you if you're supposed to marry that person or not. I can teach you what the Bible says about giving. Only the Holy Spirit can tell you who to give to, how much to give, where to give. I can teach you how, the Bible can teach you how to pray, right? I'll show you in here how to pray. But you don't know what to pray without the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, I, I still do. No, you don't. You don't know what to pray. You don't know what to pray without the Holy Spirit. Well, yeah, I figured, I've prayed before. You don't know what to pray. I'm going to prove it to you. Are you ready? Okay, Romans 8, 27. We do not know what to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes on our behalf in accordance with God's what? Now, so listen, when you pray in accordance with God's will, you get to Romans 8, 28. Which is, we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called to His purpose. It's so funny how we take a scripture and we don't go before it. Before it says, you don't know what to pray, but if you'll spend time with the Holy Spirit, He'll tell you what to pray. And when you pray the will of God, then all things will work out together for good. Not when you pray your will, when you pray His will. This happened these, these past few weeks, you know, when we were going through stuff. I was praying. And I was like, my prayer was, I want my wife. God, give me my wife. Oh, my wife, my wife, my wife. And I didn't know what to, and so I, I went to inner healing and deliverance with pastors Dick and Beth Button at um, Beach Family Worship, worked out great. After several sessions, I started getting my faith back, started hearing from God clearly, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to me exactly what to pray. The funniest thing happened, the very next day, Mona texts me, here's what you should pray. It was the exact same thing. A few days later, Kelly Victoria, same thing. Trisha, same thing. How can four people know exactly what to pray without talking to each other? Because they're all talking to the same person, that's why. Because the Holy Spirit speaks to all of us. And all things are going to work together for good. Okay, emotions. He has emotions. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Now, before I read this, I want you to listen. Grief is an emotion. Okay, everybody understand grief. Grief is an emotion, so listen real close. Stop lying. Now, just point to somebody if you think it's for them. As I read this, feel free to point at people in church. If you're angry, do not sin by nursing your grudge. Okay, I'm seeing who y'all are pointing to. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. When you're angry, you give the devil a foothold. If anyone is stealing, stop. I'm just checking. I don't know who, that's, I don't know who this is for. Do not use bad language. That's for the northerners. Say only what is good to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Stop being mean. That's Southerners, okay? Bless your heart. 
That means you moron. Harsh words should have no place in your lives. Lord, forgive me. Be kind and forgive one another because you belong to Christ. Okay. What grieves the whole, what makes the Holy Spirit sad? Can me tell you? Lying makes him sad. Being angry and nursing a grudge makes him sad. Uh, letting the sun go down while you're angry makes him sad. Uh, stealing makes him sad. Bad language makes him sad. Saying things that aren't good make him sad. Being mean makes him sad. Uh, not being kind and not forgiving makes him sad. Why do those things make the Holy Spirit sad? Here's why. Because those things hurt us and he loves us. And if you ever saw one of your children doing something that was harmful to them, wouldn't that grieve you? No, it's not grieving you that, about the sin they're doing or whatever the wrong thing is. It grieves you that that sin is hurting them. Okay, the Holy Spirit grieves when we do things that hurt ourselves or that hurt our relationships. Now, grief is an emotion that's normally talked about uh, whenever you experience someone in your life dying. Right? There's grief counseling, grief sharing, and all that. The reason that's the emotion that's talked about is because when someone you love passes away or moves to heaven, assuming they're saved, um, you, you lose intimacy with them. You cannot be intimate. You're no longer able to hug them or kiss them or share with each other and communicate, and so you experience grief. Now, you know if they're saved that you're going to see them again one day, but you're still experiencing grief because the intimacy's been, broke, been lost. Correct? Okay. When we walk in sin, uh, the Holy Spirit is grieved, and here's why. He's grieved because we lose intimacy with God. Now, the Holy Spirit, we don't lose our salvation. He knows, hey, whether I see you, whether we experience intimacy again on earth or in heaven, either way, I'm going to see you. Either way, we're going to be together again one day, okay, even if it's in heaven. But for now, when you walk in sin, he grieves because there's no intimacy. So let me just encourage you, if you, if you want to hear whispers from the Holy Spirit, you need to start walking in a different direction. If you want to experience more of the Holy Spirit's power, you have to start walking in the direction of God's will for your life. Okay, and, and everything will change. Okay, so uh, point number, no, don't show them point number three yet. Don't show them point number three. So my points have to start with the same letter or it bothers me. And I know it really bothers y'all as well, uh, really badly. And so I, I was going to use the word power, but that's not really the direction I want to go in. So I found a word, but it wasn't an English word. So I should actually get extra points for using a word that wasn't English. Okay, point number three is this, pneumaticos. Pneumaticos, P N. E-U-M-A-T-I-K-O-S. The word pneumaticos is the word for spiritual in the scripture concerning the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, don't look at your handout. Look at me and then you look at your handout. Um, there are four sets of gifts in the New Testament. Okay, I, I, think, um, I think Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 4, and Ephesians 4. Okay, There's the minister gifts in Ephesians 4. There's the ministerial gifts. There's the uh, motivational gifts and then the manifestation gifts, which we're talking about here. I'll tell you why this, these set that I'm about, I'll tell you why these are different than the other ones in a second, okay? So, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Now concerning pneumaticos, or spiritual gifts given by the Holy Spirit. There are varieties of spiritual gifts. One word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, discerning of spirits, miracles, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. One and the same spirit works all these, distributing to each one individually as he wills. The word spiritual, pneumaticos, means empowered by breath or wind like that of a mighty rushing wind. If you have a, a pneumatic drill, I'm told that a pneumatic drill is a drill powered by air. Is that correct, men? Okay, just making sure. I knew it was correct. 
totally. I just wanted to ask y'all that was correct. So these gifts, they're empowered by the breath of God. The only way the Holy Spirit can use you in these areas is if you allow him to breathe in you. Now, the reason these are different than the minister gifts in Ephesians 4 is this. You don't have one of these gifts. These gifts, you don't get them. You get the Holy Spirit who has all the gifts, and he uses them with, through you at times as he chooses and as he wills. If you have the gift of tongues, that is different than praying in tongues. This is the gift of tongues. You don't have it all the time. You only have it when he chooses to use you in that area. Are you with me? You understand? You, you don't have the gift of interpretation all the time unless he chooses to use you. And it goes, okay. So um, there, are, <clears throat> there are nine gifts in this list, and they're in three categories. And this is, I'm ending with these, these points here. So there's three categories of nine gifts. And they all start with the letter D. So for your notes, the first set we're going to look at is the discerning gifts. And I'm only going to talk about one in each section to, because of time. I could do a series on the, all of them because they're so good. Discerning gifts, the word of knowledge. Okay, tell me if this is okay, if the Holy Spirit ever uses you for this. To know something specific without having learned it by natural means. Would that be okay? What about a word of wisdom? A divine answer or solution for a particular event. You ever been stuck somewhere and then the Holy Spirit just drops on you the, the answer and how to handle it and what to do? Amazing. Discerning of spirits. To be made aware of the presence of a demonic spirit. Would it be okay? Let's say that there's a demonic spirit that attacks your child. Got into your child from a friend at school. Uh, the, a spirit of cutting. Remember the one guy, the um, Gadarene demoniac that was cutting himself, okay? Imagine you find out your child's cutting themselves. You take them to counselors. It's not working. You know, all this stuff. You're trying to get a medicine. Nothing works. Trying to make nothing works. Then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reveals to you there's a demon that's attacking your child. Gives you the name of the demon. You pray that demon out in Jesus' name, and the child's completely fine. Would that be okay? If you realize what type of demonic spirit is trying to get into your house or in your relationships or in your children, the Lord reveals it, and then the Holy Spirit tells you exactly what to pray. Now, I want you to know that that gift, that third one, that is not called the gift of discernment. There is no gift of discernment in the Bible. It's the gift of discerning of spirits. Okay, there's some people that claim they have a gift of discernment. They have a gift of criticism is what they have. They just want to find a reason to talk bad about people. This is the gift of discernment. Okay, next set of gifts are the declarative gifts. Declarative gifts. Prophecy, which we've talked about before, when God speaks to you and gives you a message for somebody else, it's always encouraging in the New Testament. Always encouraging. Tongues, a message from God in a language unknown to a person through whom the message comes. We'll talk about that next week. And interpretation of tongues, interpreting what that tongue was. Let me talk about prophecy. In 1975, uh, a very young Denzel Washington came home from college. He had no idea what he wanted to do with his life. He goes to his mom's barber shop, and he's just sitting there talking to his mom. And this older, older woman named Ruth Green is sitting under, you know, the, the big hair dryers that you ladies would do? I'd go with my mom when I was a kid. I'd just get all warm under that big old, like you're, on a, you're like an alien is on top of you, you know? They're like they're trying to take your take your brain cells out or something. Anyway, Ruth Green, she was under one of those, and all of a sudden she, she lifted up her dryer, and she said, quick, somebody get me a pen and paper. Quick, quick, quick. Looked like she was crazy. Give me a pen and paper. She looked at Denzel, looked him right in the eyes, and she wrote down a prophecy. She wrote, Denzel, you will speak to millions, you'll travel the world, and you'll make a positive difference in mankind. Looked like she was crazy, but it spoke to Denzel. He told that all through his career, anytime there was two paths, like a fork in the road, he would pull out that prophecy, and it would always guide him in the right direction. To this day, Denzel Washington keeps that prophecy in his wallet everywhere he goes from 1975. Here's my question. 
Where would his life be if Ruth Green had heard the word from God and not had the confidence or boldness to share it? Anytime you hear a word from God for somebody that is encouraging, share it. You say, what if it's not God? If it's encouraging, it's from God. If it's encouraging, okay? Um, also, I want to talk to you about the, um, the interpretation of tongues. So, if you ever, I don't know, if, how many, I'm just curious, I didn't ask in the first service, how many of y'all been in crazy-matic, Baptocostal churches, and you've, you've, had, there's, you've been there where there's been tongues interpretation? Okay, good, okay, okay, good. So, it's not called the translation of tongues, it's called the interpretation of tongues. Translation is word for word. Tongues is the thought or the intent behind it. The United Nations does not have interpreters, they have translators. They want it word for word. They don't want to miss anything, right? If someone says something, they want to know exactly what's said. So if you've ever been in one of the services where God's done that, and God, he won't do that in one of our Sunday morning services because the Bible says if you do that around unbelievers, they think you're mad. Um, and there's always unbelievers in some of our services. But in our Bible studies and maybe even our Sunday night service and so forth, there could be tongues, interpretation, all, all, stuff like that. So anyway, um, so you've been in a service, there may be a short tongue and then a long interpretation. Or a short interpret, a long tongue and a short interpretation, and you, and you discount and think, ah, that didn't, that's not the right thing, because you know this person said this and this person said it a lot longer. That's because it's an interpretation, it's the thought or intent behind it. If you ask a man, "How was your day?" he will interpret to you, "It was good." If you ask a woman, how was her day, she'll translate it to you. I woke up at 6 a.m. I had to get my kids up. It took a while to get them up. I made them pancakes. One of the pancakes burned. The dog peed on the floor. I had to clean up the bed. Couldn't get to work on time. I did get to work on time. I forgot a little bill of Billy's lunchbox. I could go take all his lunchbox. And I had a horrible day at work. Can you believe this happened to me? I had a flat tire on the way home. You see the difference? Okay, translation and interpretation. Okay, just want to make you see. Okay, last but not least, the dynamic gifts. Dynamic gifts are faith. A supernatural impartation of belief and confidence for a specific situation. Would it be okay if you're going through hell and all of a sudden this gift of faith rises up in you and you know immediately, I'm going to get through this with God's help? Um, <clears throat> healing, supernatural endowments of divine health. A lot of people don't believe in healing nowadays until they get sick. Then they want to believe in it. Uh, and then miracles, divine intervention that alters our natural circumstance. And I believe it's a miracle that my wife is here in church with us today. And with me today. So um, I want to close with a story on miracles and healing. True story. Y'all know the story of my son Asher, um, but that type of um, supernatural healing didn't just start with Asher. It actually started in my grandparents and in my dad's life. Um, my grandparents that I was telling you about earlier, they had their first child in the 40s, in, in, um, in the 1940s, and their first child died after she gave birth to him. He died. So they didn't think that they were going to have another baby, but they did. They ended up having my dad a year later in 1948, which is the same year Israel became a nation, and we should pray for Israel. So always pray for Israel. And um, so when he was born in um, 1948, there was no um, vaccination for polio. It was a dreaded disease that, that no one wanted to get, and they were f farmers. They were tobacco farmers out in Hemingway. Didn't, you know, didn't have hardly anything. Um, no computers or books or knowledge, you know, maybe they had the Bible sitting around, that's about it. But um, at 18 months old, my dad got polio, and he was unable to move his legs, and so they take him to um, uh, King Street Hospital, because there was no hospital in Hemingway, <clears throat> and the doctors told them, they said, well, he's either going to die or he'll never walk again. If he, does, if he doesn't die from polio, he'll never be able to use his legs ever again. 
And it, it scared my grandparents because all their friends, all their farmer friends that were having kids, they were getting polio and dying. So imagine you see your friend's child dying, and now your child has the exact same thing. You know? So they take him to King Street Hospital. My grandma's in the hospital with him on the first day, and she turns on the radio in the hospital room, and lo and behold, there was this Christian radio broadcast by this new and upcoming evangelist named Oral Roberts. And he was teaching about how God can do supernatural miracles and heal people. Now, my grandma, she knew that Moses parted the Red Sea and Jesus walked on water, but their thoughts were, well, that's the Bible. That's the Bible. I've never seen anything. I've never experienced anything like that. And so my grandma listened to it on the first day, and he's talking about how if you'll just pray for healing and believe God for healing, it'll happen. Let's do it for three days. And so she'd have to go to work and leave my dad in the hospital just laying there. The third day she comes in. And the doctors say, we don't understand what's going on. We don't know how it happened. My dad's standing up in his crib. Legs are working, and he's walked ever since. Completely healed. A huge miracle. Changed their life. Changed my grandparents' life. To add to that miracle, which is so cool, they found out, my grandma found out a few months later, that there was a man, a local farmer named Mr. Mims, and he was a very successful, wealthy farmer. He paid for that broadcast to be played in that area. He paid for Oral Roberts and the teachings to be shared. So my grandma, you know, thanked him and said, well, my little boy was healed and saved, you know. And so fast, my dad didn't know any of this. Fast forward 30-something years later, my dad's in the Holy Land. He's in Jerusalem, in Israel, right, taking a tour, and he's meeting people. And he meets this older gentleman, and they're talking, they have, you know, American accent. He said, where are you from? The old gentleman said, well, I'm from Hemingway, and uh, I, I used to be a farmer. I'm retired now. And my dad said, what's your name? He said, my name is Mr. Mims. My dad said, you're the reason I'm standing here today in the Holy Land, in Jerusalem right now, you know, preaching the gospel and stuff. So anyway, that's the story. That's the miracle story. How many of y'all want the Holy Spirit? Say, oh yeah. oh, yeah. Okay, heads bowed, eyes closed. I think it's time that we were repent for being scared of the one who actually comforts us and the one who actually provides and speaks to and guides us and leads us and convicts us, convicts us of sin, <clears throat> tells us what to pray. <clears throat> Lord, we repent for being scared, for listening to the devil's lies. So real quick, if you're in here today and you have not seen the Holy Spirit as a person. You have not seen Him as a helper, an advocate, a comforter. You, you, he, was, he, was for, he was for looks, but not for use. If that's you, can you lift your hands so I can pray for you right now? Lord, thank you for every hand raised right now. I just pray the Holy Spirit dwells inside of them. Lord, help them to receive you into their life right now. And all the benefits that come along. Speak to us. Guide us into all truth. Convict us. Teach us what to pray. Comfort us. Be our advocate. Lord, we thank you for what the Holy Spirit can do, does. We thank you, Lord, for his, his, his truth. We thank you for his peace. We thank you for his guiding hand. Lord, we thank you that the comforter is not just for looks, but also for use in our life. And we thank you, Lord, for teaching us the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's all